Please turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And do turn in the printed page of your own or a pew Bible, or if you need to, on a device, because we will not have the services at the screen this morning, and, and it'll force us to the text printed anyhow. So go to, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I'll try to give you the lay of the land before we, we get too far into this uh, here this morning. So I want to take the posture of a humble lead learner as we approach 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14. I want to take the posture of a humble lead learner. Uh, you should see my study right now. I've got books scattered all over the place in my study. Uh, reading systematic theologies of multiple kinds and uh, different books on the subject. And I, I want to point out one book in particular, uh, maybe two here actually, but one first. This is a book by Don Carson, Showing the Spirit. And this is how big that his theological exposition of 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 is. That's just three chapters worth. Uh, that's a big book for three chapters out of the Bible, by the way. Most uh, commentaries can cover a whole book of the Bible in that. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 is worthy of a lot of reflection. And so I want to take the posture of a humble lead learner. If I draw conclusions about the main subject matter in these three chapters, I don't intend to draw them until after chapter, or toward the end of the section, chapter 14. So I want us to come together today in a spirit of study, and I want us to see and behold great things from God's Word uh, for us. I believe that if you bring that posture to the Word of God in these chapters, I believe the benefit to you will be growth in the Lord, because God has given us this Bible. And he did not give us 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 for us to just have a nice chapter in the middle there for weddings, which it is, by the way, right? Love. Love is patient. Love is kind. You're probably familiar with that. But that chapter is set in the middle of a sandwich between chapters 12 and 14 that has blessed the church tremendously over the church's history and has also plagued the church with issues and frictions. And so this morning, we're going to approach this text in three ways. After we read the text, I'll discuss verses 1 through 3, and we'll talk about frictions about gifts, or we might just simply say gift friction. And we're going to discuss spiritual gifts secondly, verses 4 through 7, with the gift giver. And then finally, verses 8 through 11, and we'll probably read verses 12 and 13 for context the gift listings or the gift list. If you're a note taker, I'll give you those again in summary fashion. Gift friction, gift giver, gift list. So our three operative words is friction, giver, and list to cover our text this morning. Verses 1 to 3, 4 to 7, and 8 through 11. That'll be our method. So let's let's turn now, if you haven't already, let's make sure that we are on the page in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and let's read the whole thing one time through and uh, kind of get the, get the lay of it here. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when we, you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. 
and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And now verse 8. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another various kinds of tongues. To another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And for context, let's get verses 12 and 13. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. As we approach this text this morning, let's remember the importance that verse 12 says on many members in one body. We are truly members of the body of Christ. Through faith in Christ, we, in fact, have been indwelled by the Spirit, and we're being guided by the Spirit into all things that are good. Thank God bless the reading of His Word and administer grace into tears. First, gift friction. Let's look at verses 1 through 3 for this. It begins with now concerning. Now there are six times in the book of 1 Corinthians that this now concerning phrase comes to us. It happens in chapter 7, again in chapter 7, in chapter 8, and chapter 12 here, as well as in chapter 16 twice. Each time now concerning is meant to address and shift and address a new concern that the Corinthian church had written or sent word about questions that they had for the Apostle Paul. Now I need you to realize that the Bible, as you have it today, was not in written form. It, this, is the, this is the first century AD, about the AD 50s, early 50s, 51, 52, 53, 54. It's hard to pinpoint exactly when Corinthians was written. But Galatians was probably written in the late 1840s, and Corinthians as a letter and the other letter was probably written in the 1850s. So the whole thing is not compiled. What you have instead is apostles who witnessed the resurrection of Jesus expressing the truth of what Jesus taught and the reality of his supernatural healing work to the hearers, to the new believers, to the church members in each and every town. I think that's important to say that while today we have a closed canon of Scripture, it's that you've got 66 books, this is your Bible, you, most of you, I think, know that you don't add to this thing to take away from it, right? So there's your Bible. I think it's very important to understand from the start of this that that was not the case in the 1850s. That you had apostles living and breathing. Can you imagine walking and talking with Peter or Paul? Well, imagine, because these are living apostles that are telling the story of Jesus Christ from first-hand account. Matter of fact, the Gospel of John says, blessed are those of us during the Doubting Thomas segment, blessed are those of us that will believe even though we didn't see, right, first-hand. So we believe based on the testimony of the apostles that has now been 
administrated to us through this closed tent in these 66 books of the Bible, the Word of God, Genesis to Revelation. So this, this now concerning is addressing questions that the Corinthian church had, but it impacts us because in God's providence, he's left us with this Bible, and particularly this book, Corinthians, within the book of books that is the Bible, so that as we shift through the six questions or more that they have, now concerning this, now concerning that, now concerning this, now concerning that, we have similar questions, or at least genres of questions, such as spiritual gifts and the like, and we can glean answers from these questions, and this is why God has given us this word, we believe. And so he's now addressing spiritual people or spiritual things. The word gift is simply implied, but it becomes evident that it is about spiritual gifts as you travel through these three important chapters. And so the now concerning, the topic at hand here is spiritual gifts. He speaks to them with direct address. He says brothers, which is implied, it's kind of like saying all you people or mankind, brothers and sisters, all of you, I want to give this word to you. I want you to understand something. I don't want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to be lacking knowledge in this area. I don't want you to be agnostic about this issue of spiritual gifts. I want you to know about it. And he says concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, members of the church, folks in the body of Christ, you know when you were pagans, and that would be before you were Christian, right? You were led astray to idols that couldn't speak, or mute idols, idols that couldn't give you a word. However, you were led, you were led astray. Now, stop after verse 2. It's helpful if we flash back and imagine in the Bible the Egyptian sorcerers and wonder workers. Do you remember that even those under the authority of Pharaoh, not representing the one true God, were able to work some what we would consider pretty hard to work things. You might even say miraculous things. Do you remember this from reading the book of Exodus? If not, go back and read through that. So it wasn't if miracles were being worked, at least in the eyes of the people. What was being done is a competition between the idolatrous gods of Pharaoh and the sorcerers under Pharaoh and the one true God, Yahweh, who was triumphing over those gods. We see the same kinds of thing with Elijah and Elisha. Triumphant. The one true God is triumphing. So it's not an issue of whether or not the idols at least were perceived to evoke people to ecstatic action or even what might be perceived as miraculous doings. It's that this one true God is the creator of life and is the strong, strong, strongest man ever, in Jesus Christ that is, and this God is triumphing over the idols that the pagans worship. Now, why that's important here is these folks had previously been led astray by the ecstatic actions and the allure of idol worship. And these idols could not present a revealed word, a stated word, a consistent revelation like the one true God has done. And so because of that verbal revelation, he is saying, you were won over to the faith. You don't follow idols that don't speak. You've now been led not astray, but you've been led to the true way. And you entered through that narrow gate that is the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So he says, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to have friction about gifts. And this is what I think was the, the friction that's going on with the gifts. Some of them 
felt that because they didn't have certain gifts that others appeared to have, and we'll get into the gift listing here in a moment, they felt like, and therefore, I might not have the Spirit, because I don't seem to have the gift that, that this person has, or that that person has. And so I might not have the Spirit. And if I don't have the Spirit inside of me, if I don't have the Spirit because I don't have that spiritual gift, then what kind of doubt might I start to have? I'm going to start to doubt, then I might, well, if the Spirit is God, and the Spirit is God, right? Then I might not be converted. I might not have assurance in my salvation. I might not, I might not be able to be confident that there's a good work going on inside of me that will be carried to completion, like the book of Philippians says. And so when, when we, we see this friction that happens inside of a believer that is more modest in their understanding of the gift that God has given them, that they don't have certain gifts that seem to be more forceful or public, and, and there is this gift friction that occurs that, that our first section here, verses 1 to 3, speaks of. Now, Look at verse 3 specifically. He says, Therefore then, I want you to understand, be informed, no one is speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Look at that one more time. No one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. I want to read to you just straight from the English Standard version study Bible notes, partly because it's helpful and partly because it will remind you that that's a resource that you can use. Um, it's out there in the foyer. It's a resource that you can use that will really help you, I think. But here's what it says about this, this verse. It says, because of their background in pagan worship services, some Corinthians may have had concerns about speech gifts empowered by the Holy Spirit in the church. Paul first assures them that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And therefore, they should not worry that Christians who speak in tongues might be uttering blasphemous things. And also, no one can say in genuine faith that Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. And therefore, all who genuinely profess faith in Christ have the Holy Spirit within them, and none should be excluded from thinking that they have the Holy Spirit within them. For they all have valuable gifts for the benefit of the church. Taking that from the English Standard Version Bible concerning 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3. And I would truly I would urge you to read that because I think it's helpful and I just give you a small snippet from it there. So what, he's, what he says here is that no one speaking the Spirit of God and saying Jesus is accursed, you can be assured that if you're exercising in this first century church in the 1850s, speaking in tongues, you're not accidentally uttering in another language or in a misunderstood utterance something that would kick you out of the kingdom. Jesus is accursed. And he also wants to assure those with, 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 with concerns for modesty, with those that don't think they have great gifts in the Lord, that they do have the Holy Spirit so long as in fact they're saved. And he wants to assure them that if you, you can't say Jesus is Lord in faith without having the Spirit. So it is an issue of the giving of gifts, spiritual gifts for ministry and upbuilding one another that we are discussing. It's not an issue of whether or not you have the Spirit. And so our first point wants to lay the foundation with a friction that could be felt in approaching this topic in this text is, if I don't have a certain gift, maybe I'm not a Christian. And this text, especially verse 3, doesn't want you to be ignorant of the fact that that's the wrong way to think about this. And when we talk about spiritual gifts, we're not talking about them 
to try to determine whether or not you're saved, we're talking about the, the at least in the lists, there's something like 20 or 21 of them listed in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4, uh, as well as, uh, there's one other listing that just escaped my mind, Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and there's another one, but it just escaped my mind. There's one of those there's four places, counting chapter 12, that you have listings in the Bible of spiritual gifts that they add up to about 20 or 21 of them. And they don't seem to be exhausted. They seem to be representative. The Spirit's not limited in how He gifts His people for service. And so, for example, uh, apostles. We don't have apostles today the way that you have them in the first century. None of us witnessed the resurrection. That doesn't mean, that because you don't have apostles, that other gifts aren't still in play. And if other gifts weren't to be in play, it wouldn't mean that all the gifts are defunct. There are things that happen at certain times and things that don't happen at other times and things that can happen again and may not happen again. Just because something differently isn't happening here and now doesn't mean it isn't happening anywhere in the world. And just because something happened then doesn't mean it'll happen now, doesn't mean it won't happen now. There's no logical following of whether or not something will happen based on whether or not it has happened, especially based on the apostles. We see that we don't have apostles today whether we did then. Now, Probably the $10 word in this passage is tongues. It comes to us from the Greek word glossa, where we talk about glossa means tongues or languages, uh, utterances. I want to read to you something from Dr. Richard Pratt on tongues. Here's what he says. This gift is at least as controversial today as it was in the Apostle Paul's day. Much of the controversy centers on whether tongues were known human languages spoken by someone who did not know the language, or ecstatic utterances not known to humans, perhaps even the tongues of angels, based on 1 Corinthians 13.1, speaking that way. A few interpreters have argued even that tongues included language that could be understood by listeners as if it were their own native language, though it was not, like Acts chapter 2, verse 11. A crucial consideration lies in the fact the Apostle Paul did not say tongues, but different kinds of tongues in chapter 12, verse 10. He didn't say tongues, he said different kinds of tongues. Paul appears here to have been intentionally ambiguous, following for, allowing for a broad range of phenomena under the rubric of tongues. This breadth appears in the way Paul drew a comparison between Christian tongues and pagan religious ecstatic speech earlier in the chapter, verses 2 and 3, which we've read. It is important to add that there is no, that there's little or no reason to think that tongues always involve infallibly inspired speech, even in the time the apostles lived. It is likely that some of the different kinds may have included infallible speech by apostles and prophets when the Spirit inspired them infallibly, yet it is also likely that not all tongues were infallibly inspired any more than all preaching or proclamation was. If infallible tongues did once exist, they no longer continue in the modern church as infallible tongues. At least four characteristics of speaking in tongues must be remembered. Number one, the speakers were not delirious. They were able to control how and when they spoke. Number two, both the speakers and at least some hearers were unable to understand what was said. This will become clear in the context, especially in chapter 14. Number three, the Holy Spirit enabled someone in the church to interpret or translate the tongues. Number four, Paul preferred that people speak in church in languages that everyone in the church could understand. This becomes apparent in chapter 14. Now, about number three there, the Holy Spirit enabled some in the church to interpret or translate the tongues. At that point, he says, if there is an interpreter to do it privately, chapter 14 says. The Apostle Paul also says that nobody in his, in his hearing or reading in 1 Corinthians had more experience speaking in tongues than him. 
And he said in the gathered corporate worship, he would rather speak five intelligible words than 10,000 words in tongues, thus giving prime of place not to the, to the sense of ecstatic speech without an interpreter, but rather to the orderliness of worship. Furthermore, he seems to list tongues at the bottom of these word listings in these chapters. And even though the lists are not exhaustive and the ordering is not always identifiable, or in fact, not always identifying prime of place, it seems that the way that he lists them as you read through chapters 12, 13, and 14, tongues seems to be at the bottom because, number one, it's a problem in the church. They're arguing over it. Some people may even think they're not saved because they don't have the gift, which is not true. There's gift friction there. And number two, because he's trying to say, I would rather you speak intelligibly, prophetically, the words of life, than tongues that may be more, more helpful privately, and, unless there's an interpreter, but is not so helpful publicly, because frankly, it would not be understood by guests to the church, chapter 14 says. So I'm kind of riffing off of what Dr. Crack says there. I think his understanding of tongues is trying to give us the lay of the land is, is helpful. So there's gift friction over whether or not you're saved if you do or don't have certain gifts. Number one, that needs to be uh, kind of released. But also, number two, we need to be reminded of who the giver of the gifts is. And so let's look afresh at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 7. This is what it says. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. I want you to key in on that phrase there, for the common good. What is the purpose of these gifts, if not for the common good? Good. Perhaps those that are extant, perhaps those that are not. What is the purpose of these gifts but for the common benefit, the betterment, the good? I coach sports, recently coached basketball, sometimes I coach softball kids, and we have a phrase, and the phrase is known by those that have played for me. It's don't get bitter, get better. Don't get bitter, get better. Uh, sometimes we have a tendency when we think someone else has something that we think we ought to have or we want to have, we tend to get bitter. And that's not a great emotion to hold on to. If someone has something that you want to have, don't get bitter, get better. Improve and grow in what it is that you're doing. And perhaps you might attain to that particular skill in a sport or you might attain to that particular aspect of skillness in uh, whatever it is that you're trying to do, music or whatnot. Now, that application helps on one piece and hurts on the other. And I'm going to use it to show how. It hurts, it helps because you don't need to be bitter for the gifts that other people have in the church. They're actually for your betterment anyway. So don't, don't be bitter about it. Don't have that kind of gift envy, like I'm a hand that wants to be a foot in the body of Christ. You know? be, be glad that God gifted you with a hand. The side that it doesn't help with, where the metaphor breaks down about don't get better, get better, is that I don't read this in a way in which the gifting that you have is based on your work ethic or your maturity. Now, I've, I've told you I'm taking a humble lead learner here. 
I could be corrected on this if you see something in the text that I'm missing. I'm meditating on this and trying to understand scriptural scripture. I think whatever gift you have is given to you by God for the benefit of the body of Christ. And I don't think that you get to choose, and I don't think you get to earn another gift. I think the gift or gifts that you have is just what God's gifted you. And it's another conversation for another day, but I don't think those gifts are the same as talents that you have in the in the flesh, just things that you're talented at. I think you have spiritual gift or gifts, and I don't think that it's an a la carte thing, like if I mature more, if I just work harder, I'm going to have more gifts. You might better use the gift that God has given you by serving and distinguishing and growing, but you don't get the gift based on your faithfulness. I don't think. But that's, that's I told you I wanted to take some places here where I do the old IDK. I don't know. I want to do that some in here. I hope that helps us kind of draw in together in reading this text and talking together. I hope I get a few notes this week about, you know, I was reading 1 Corinthians and I thought about this. And have you ever considered that? I hope I get some of that because that's the kind of conversation I want to have in this text. And hopefully I can at least offer some conclusions at the end of chapter 14 when we get there a little bit later in the spring. So to try to, to, try to draw this back together, we're on point number two. Point number one was gift friction. Yes, you really do have the Spirit. You really are saved, even if you don't have a particular gift that you wish that you had or that you think someone else has. It's kind of cool. Number two, gift giver. The triune God of the universe energizes us or gifts us with spiritual gifts for the building up of the church, and you don't get to pick which one you get. And so understand that the gift giver is God, and you don't get to give gifts. I don't get to disperse them to you. You don't get to work hard enough in order to achieve them, I don't think. And variety is the spice of life in the church. We've got all these gifts and we're suppo they're supposed to be used for mutual edification. Remember I read verses 12 and 13? For the members of the church to be built up as we have this one faith and one Lord and one baptism. No one member has all the gifts. Every member has a gift. The best way to discern your gift is to serve and to listen to others and for others to tell you how they're blessed by what you do and by omission. How they're not blessed by not telling you about things they're not blessed about. You might learn not to do some of those things. The body of Christ is supposed to help us understand what our gifts are, not through a questionnaire necessarily, that have become very popular in churches today, but through the experience of serving one to another and figuring out, well, that person has a speaking gift. That person has a serving gift. That person has seems to have this, this nuanced gift for this purpose, or that nuanced gift for that purpose. And I think that, that is part of the spirit of, or the working move of, what we need to pull from the listings in the New Testament of spiritual gifts, whether it be from Romans 12 or 1 Corinthians 12 or Ephesians 4 and so on. Now, the gift giver, point number two, is not just the spirit, although often we get spiritual gifts or given by the spirit gifts understood only as God the Spirit. But verses 4, 5, 6, and 7 want to communicate to us that the triune God is pleased to give gifts and is involved in the giving of gifts, even if meted out by God the Spirit. So, so listen afresh, verse 4. Varieties of gifts, the same Spirit. Varieties of service, the same Lord. Right? We think of Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. We see... Uh, varieties of activities with the same God who empowers them and everyone. So this language is, is triune or trinity language. And all of this is given. God gives it. We receive it. God gives it. 
for the common good. For the common good. So we have discussed gift friction and gift giver, and we don't get to alleviate our concerns about the frictions of gifts or the giver of gifts as we walk through this third point, but we do need to bracket them and talk about the gift listing, which now we can read from verses 8 and following. So listen to how this, this rolls out. Verse 8 through 11 says, For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. Pause and back up to the beginning of verse 8. I'm going to emphasize nine words or nine gifts that are in, these, in this listing, and I want you to kind of catch them as we go. There's nine of them listed. So I'm going to start back in verse 8. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. That's number one. To another, the utterance of knowledge. That's number two. According to the same Spirit. To another, faith. That's number three. By the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing. Gifts of healing. So that's number four. And I want you to notice they're gifts of healing. It's not a it's not a faith healer so much it is gifts of healing. This one may come and go in the first century. It may be with some and with another, with another. By one spirit, number four, healing. To another working of miracles, number five. To another prophecy, number six. To another the ability to distinguish, let's say distinguish, number seven, between spirits. To another various kinds of tongues, we've already talked about that, number eight. And to another the interpretation of tongues, number nine. So did you count those with me, nine? I'm going to run back through them. Wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, distinguishing tongues, and interpretation. This is what we are calling our, our gift listings. And then finally, verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He, as the Spirit, as God wills. It's not based on, on what we will, but as God wills. Now, I've been quoting a little bit from Dr. Richard Pratt because I think his, his material here is really helpful. And so I'm going to do that again now with this sample Listen, here's what he, he says. He says that miracles, probably the ability to work various kinds of miracles, including but not limited to healing. He says prophecy, the word prophecy used by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians refers generally to speech that reports something that God spontaneously brings to mind or reveals to the speaker, but which is spoken in merely words. He says, therefore, it can have mistakes or must be tested or evaluated. So Dr. Pratt, what he's saying here, I think, is that he sees different kinds of prophecy within the New Testament canon. That is a disputed issue. Some people say that there's only one kind of prophecy ever. It's Old Testament prophets are nothing or bust. Some people say in the New Testament, it seems like prophecy is something that is not as binding as the, in the Old Testament. It's one of the I don't know questions I'm trying to sort out with the body of Christ here with you in this season of study. I want to go on with Dr. Pratt. A correction, that position is the position that the ESP study Bible takes. This is the position that Dr. Pratt lays out. I think this will be helpful for the balance of this little mini-series within Corinthians. This will be the last lengthy read that I give you, so try to hang on. Now, let me preface this lengthy read underneath this gift listing with this comment. I told you a bit ago about a book that I'm wading back through, Show the Spirit by Don Carson. I want to now tell you about a book, if this really interests you, says, Our Miraculous Gifts for Today, Four Views. And this book has some editors, but it takes four different views. One of them is a Pentecostal or Charismatic view. Another one is a third wave view. You think of John Wimber if you're a 20th century church history person. 
Another one is an open but cautious view. And another one is a cessationist view. So voiding back through these concepts during this series as well. It's called Our Miraculous Gifts for Today, Four Views. Now in this church in our constitution, of the views that they outline in the book, the four views, and Dr. Pratt lays them out in three real simple ones. It's a two plus one, so I'm going to read that to you before we kind of pull this together. Our church does not insist that you take a particular view. Now, our praxis as a church is that since the Word of God has been given to us, that we have a closed canon instead of an open canon. So some of the word gifts from the first century, the 1850s, for example, when the Apostle Paul was alive and talking and these things were being written down, they're not necessary today because we have the, the printed word. Furthermore, whatever we do, even if we were to take a position of, say, open but cautious, and these things are still happening in the orderly church worship and not just in some private session, it must be done with order, with form, because otherwise you'd be in violation of the very words of text in 1 Corinthians 14 where the Apostle Paul says, I'd rather speak 10,000 words directly, directly of revelation, of prophecy, rather than just, I'd rather speak five words intelligibly, um, how does he say it, rather than five words, I'd rather speak five intelligible words than 10,000 in tongues, as he says in 1 Corinthians 14.35. So that's kind of our practice. What I don't want us to do, though, coming into this text, I don't think it would be helpful, is for us to say things about our common beliefs or our statements of faith that our statements of faith don't say. Our statements of faith do not say that you have to be a cessationist in that way to be a member of this church. It doesn't say that. We'll do all things in good order. We will, in fact, test what is going on. And as we're going as a body of Christ, we will be sure not to run off the rails of the things that are nuts. We're functionally... No doubt believing that these gifts had their best use in the first century AD during the time the Apostle Paul was speaking and pontificating on these 20 things and a few of them being word-based gifts that were, in this case, tongues or prophecy. But at the same time, what I would ask you to do as a good Berean is let the text bear out for you the evidence that is there. Read these verses. Don't give one another caricatures of our brothers and sisters in the world as weird or, I mean, or not, or maybe, maybe because they believe some of these gifts continue, that they're not Christians. Don't say things like that. Don't paint caricatures of people. But number one, maybe you've never had any exposure to them. But number, number two, maybe you've never really studied the scriptures like a Berean carefully to know what it actually says. If you have, engage this conversation. If you haven't, do it and then engage this conversation. Let's try to draw some conclusions at the end of chapter 14 as we work through this. Lay out these three positions based on these gifts. This is what Dr. Pratt writes. He says, continuation, modification, and cessation. He says, continuation, some traditions affirm that the infallible transmission of special revelation stopped with the closure of Scripture. Even so, though, God continues to speak to his church through apostles and prophets and through other supernatural means such as tongues, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, etc. These groups apply Paul's discussion of spiritual gifts such as here, tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy directly to their situations because they believe these manifestations of the Spirit continue in modern times. Number one, that's called continuation. Number two is cessation. Some branches of the church assert that all supernatural special revelation has ceased and that God communicates with this church today only through the Scriptures. These people usually hold that the miraculous gifts seen in the New Testament have ceased, believing that miracles existed to demonstrate the authority of God's infallible spokespersons. When God stopped sending infallible spokespersons, the Spirit stopped bestowing miraculous gifts. 
For the most part, the Apostle Paul's comments on the supernatural gifts are largely irrelevant because these gifts no longer exist, the cessationists would say. Preachers and teachers of the Word today have the special responsibility for reasoning carefully through the logical implications of Scripture. Now, the mediating position is what he calls modification. So continuation and cessation is the two big, big pictures. Finally, he offers this modification. He says, Other traditions hold that significant changes have taken place between the days of the Apostle Paul and today. First, the office of apostle and prophet were foundational offices of the church, Ephesians 2.20, designed specifically to transmit special revelation to the church in its early stages. In this view, these offices have ceased. Second, manifestations such as tongues, prophecy, and messages of knowledge and wisdom have gone through modifications with the cessation of the apostles and prophets. No more apostles and prophets. So modification. In this view, none of these gifts provides direct and fallible special revelation. In other words, nothing's on par with this. Though fallible pastors, teachers, and the like, through them rather, pastors and teachers, God leads the church in the proper application of his word in scripture through preaching, intuitions, advice, and evaluation of circumstances. Nevertheless, at every point, the teachings of these officers must be evaluated carefully by the scriptures. These groups apply these passages only indirectly to their churches, adjusting the meanings of the passages to account for the, the, the current circumstances where infallible special revelation no longer occurs. Paul's words still give the church guidance for managing current manifestations of the Spirit, analogous with those in Corinth. So, to summarize, continues, it's modified, or it's ceased. Continues, modified, ceased. Continues, modified, ceased. We want to revisit those things as uh, we walk through this. So we've talked about gift friction. We've talked about the gift giver. And we've talked briefly about the gift list. Let's look at this list one final time. There are nine things in the list. It says here wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy. Distinction amongst prophecy might be there, may not. Distinguishing between spirits, tongues, and interpretation. Those nine things that tongues go together. Perhaps prophecy and distinguishing goes together. Perhaps healing and miracles goes together. Uh, and then the enumeration of wisdom and knowledge together in that way is found nowhere else in the New Testament. That's, a, that's a, an unusual, in fact, a unique list in how that is laid out in the list. So let me see if I can kind of pull this together. We've talked about the fact that gifts can cause friction in the church. We've talked about the fact that God gives all gifts. We don't need to, do we have to pick up ourselves that God gives them? And we've talked about the fact that there are these lists that are not meant to be exhaustive, but rather representative. We've talked about that fact in the scriptures, especially in 1 Corinthians 12. We've talked about the fact there are gift listings at other places in the New Testament as well. So those three things. So I want to try to bring this together within these differing views of how these lists are meant to be understood and applied in the church today. And this introduction sermon in the series, I want to try to pull this discerning of spiritual gifts together with a thought or two. I'm thinking about all the movies that I've watched in the past where there is this great big plot line where somebody inherits a bunch of money or a bunch of assets and then it turns out to be a big fight in the family because somebody else thought they should have inherited that or they got less than the other person perceivably and all of a sudden the inheritance that was meant to be a blessing turns out to be a big old burden in the family and they wind up fighting about it and dividing about it and nobody ever makes up and have you ever seen a movie like that? I pray that's not the movie of your life. If it is, maybe we should talk privately and pray through that. Seriously, I'm not making a joke. But 
We've all seen some kind of, of plot line in a movie or some, some TV show or something where that happens, right? I don't, I don't know how many times I've seen it. It always pulls me in because it's, it's dramatic that that happens. And the reason it pulls me in is because something that was designed to be such a blessing to a family turned out to be such a burden. Something that was designed to bless that family like an inheritance, something they could not earn, something that was given to them, wound up being a burden because somebody perceived they got slighted on this, that, or the other asset. Some of you worry about that as you're making your estate plans, don't you? You don't want that to happen with your kids. I've heard you talk about it. Friends, I think that's exactly a parable. In conclusion, I think it's exactly a parable of how to view the infighting about spiritual gifts in the body of Christ writ large. I think it's exactly how to view it. God has given us gifts in the church. He's blessed us with gifts. And whether some have ceased or not, perhaps we can draw some determinations as we go through this series. But God has given us gifts not for our burden, but for our blessing. If he gifted the church in a certain way in the first century, that he is not gifting the church in the same way today, let's intelligently make that argument and let's talk about that without wearing our feelings on our shirt sleeves. If, if we've misunderstood and the fact some things aren't happening because we've been standoffish toward them, let's, let's read the Bible and understand it on its terms and make good arguments about what the Bible says. But let's not, please, for the love of our good God, take that which he has given and gifted his church that's meant for blessing to unite and let it be an instrument of the enemy to divide us. Can we agree on that much this morning? Amen. Can we start there? Let's not start with division, with that which God has given us as means of grace to bring spiritual unity. That, I believe, is so helpful. So if you will engage this study in these chapters, read them carefully with fresh eyes, not just with presuppositions. And if you will read these chapters and go into a depth of study, I believe the benefit for you will be for us. We will start conversations that is more humble about the way that the Spirit has gifted the church and not so much about what my caricature of somebody that disagrees with me is. And I think God will do more with us than he otherwise would have done if we had been stubborn and hard-hearted, don't you? Now finally, 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 we'll end it like this. My Bible says this too. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he what? He took from you or he gave to you. As we grow in the likeness of Christ, we grow to be givers and not takers. This gift he's given us, we can only receive it, we can't contract it. But it's meant for you to be giving to the body. This meant never it's not meant to be for you to be used all by yourself and not engaging in the body of Christ. All these chapters are about the orderliness of corporate worship and what it's supposed to look like for us to be together. So when we come together, understand that the giftings, they're not for you singular, they're for us. They're for us as a body. And the giftings, however they're manifested today, are for our unity and not our division. For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, that whoever would believe in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. You know, if you're if you're newer to church and you're a guest this morning, and this sermon has been seemed like a whole lot of shop talk, seemed like a whole lot of insider training and talking, I want to say to you this morning that one great application for you is, is that God is such a giver. 
that he gave his only son that you could have a way to eternal life. And to get in on the spiritual gift conversation, you've got to get in on the spirit. The way to get in on the spirit is to receive that gift that God gave on your behalf. Just receive it this morning. It's not about the words that you say. You don't have to write, read some prescribed prayer word for word just exactly in order to be saved. What it is is that you receive Christ as your own. You say, I believe that sacrifice is for me. God's a giver. And I want to be too. And you receive Christ. And it's a beautiful, beautiful, sweet exchange when you get Christ's righteousness and he pays the penalty for your unrighteousness. Isn't that good? Believers, it's good, isn't it? It's a good exchange, isn't it? Let's bow our heads and pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the fact that you have indwelled us with your spirit and that you have guided us to Christ and that we know you and that we can communicate that knowledge of you to other people. What do we have that we have not received, O oh God? Everything that we have, we have received. And we thank you for giving it to us graciously. Help us to show others our salvation by being givers. And Lord, that which has so much, so much tendency to divide us, Lord, that you meant for uniting, use it to unite us today. Do a work in us that we could not do for ourselves. Remove the friction by helping us to remember that you are the giver of all good things. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'd like to invite our ushers to come to collect our offerings and our tear-offs. And as they come, spend a few moments meditating on your applications to this.